Hello, everyone. I decided to explain the rest of my views on religion 100% once and for all. So no one is confused by my views on religion, not even me. So this episode is going to be the most summarized the most up-to-date, the most comprehensive understanding of how I think about religion. So, I'll start with biblical verses so you understand why I'll be saying what I'm saying after. So, let's get to it. So, I'm noticing ableism, also known as as disability discrimination in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 16 through 23 says... The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand or one who is hunchback or dwarf or one who has any eye defect or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron, the priest who has any defect, is to come near the present to present the food offerings to the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food, yet because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes him holy. I'm noticing infanticide and baby killing in the Bible. Psalm chapter 137 verse 9. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I'm noticing rape culture being condoned in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 28 through 29. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. I'm noticing incest in the Bible. This is in reference to Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. That's how Isaac was born. Their brother's son was conceived because of them. Those are the biggest reasons why I practice no religion, 
Those are the biggest reasons why I'm a free thinker. Free thinker is an old-fashioned term popular in the 19th century used of those such as myself who rejects authority in matters of belief, especially political and religious beliefs. The scriptures I read to are the biggest reasons why I am non-religious, as well as those who are uninterested as well as those like myself who are uninterested in religion because I reject it. Those are the biggest reasons why I am a humanist. Humanist is used today to mean those like myself who seek to live to seek to live good lives without conservative theology um my moral values follow on from my moral principles which are based on reason on shared human values and respect for others and not just myself. I know that people should work together to improve the quality of life for all and make it more equitable. It it is a full philosophy to live by a life stance or a worldview of mine. And those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I don't allow my life to be controlled by superstition. Um, Those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I am a rationalist. Rationalist in this context, described by a non-religious belief, means someone like me who prioritizes the use of reason and considers reason crucial in investigating understanding the world. Um, As a rationalist, I reject religion on the grounds that it is unreasonable and the scriptures I just read to you clarifies that meaning those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I'm a skeptic skeptic today usually means someone like me who doubts what is called absolute truth of conservative theology in terms of beliefs typically on rationalist grounds. So the religious text's ideas of supernatural and paranormal makes me feel iffy because of the scriptures that I just read to you. Um... Those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I'm a secularist. I know that laws and public institutions should be neutral as between alternative religions and beliefs. I seek to ensure that persons or organizations are neither privileged nor disadvantaged by virtue of their religion or lack of it. I know that secular laws, those that apply to all citizens, should be the product of a democratic process 
and should never be determined nor unduly influenced by religious leaders nor religious texts. The word secularism, which I use, was once used to describe a non-religious worldview more generally, sometimes described in similar terms to humanism. But this original meaning is very old-fashioned, has fallen completely out of use. Um, for the most part, there are some people that will still say secularism. And those scriptures... are the biggest reasons why I do not attend any house of worship. The scriptures are the biggest reasons why I do not live by traditionalism and ritualism. I have read all the religious texts and I came to the conclusion that all the gods that were invented by humans were overjoyed by animal cruelty and human rights robbery. So the gods that are described especially in the Old Testament I just read to you, I tend to be an atheist towards any deity, any Christ figure that is okay with beings being mandated to be, to be subjugated. Um, I do not find any empathy and the gods of the religious texts. I do not find any neighborliness in any of the gods of the religious texts. As for the Christ figures of the religious texts, I do not find any any grace nor mercy in the religious texts because the fact that it is so easy to use the Bible to offend the people's ethical treatment of animals. PETA. People for the ethical ethical treatment of animals. It's so easy to use the Bible to offend them because of its passages. Because I haven't seen any verses that talked about Standing up for animal rights. And the fact that it's so easy to use the Bible to make life 
a living hell for the United Nations. Because they came up with the concept of human rights, not the Bible writers. People, the ethical treatment of animals were one of the main leaders of coming up with the concept of human of animal rights, not the Bible writers. So 20th century people discovered human rights and animal rights as concepts. First century and BC era authors claim to have experienced Yahweh, but they did not come up with the concepts of human rights and animal rights. That's problematic to me. So God did not invent the people people for the ethical treatment of animals, but other humans invented it. God did not invent the United Nations, but other people invented the United Nations. I have problems with those things. That's why those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I'm agnostic. I don't know and I don't want to know any deity and any Christ figure that wars against animals and humans. And that's where I I, I am. Um, so would I be an unbeliever or a non-believer when it comes to any deity, any Christ figure that is celebratory of human misery and animal misery? I would kiss, I would say yes. Um, and it's not easy for me to come to these conclusions, but based upon what I just read to you all, um, I'm just not able to let it go because animals and humans are that important to me. And it really is hard to come to these conclusions because as you know, Christianity felt like my only way out. I didn't worship the religion about God. I did worship God then. And I didn't wor- I didn't worship the Bible or the church. I worshiped the God that the church and the Bible talked mainly about. And at the same time, um, I just figured in my heart that... The usage of religious language by many people has been quite oppressive. And so I decided it would be in my best interest as a universal person that I am to only use universal language because it's much smoother and easier for people to appreciate the wisdom that you are vocalizing instead of getting 
gung-hold and caught up on using language that does not con- that that discon- that continues to be disconnected from their psyches. So that those scriptures are the biggest reasons why I'm not a practitioner of religious traditions. And those scriptures that I read to you, I mean, are the biggest reasons why I'm not a, I'm not someone that is super invested in religious beliefs. Um, it has not been easy to come to these conclusions because also this is how me and my grandma got along our centrality of our mother and son relationship is Jesus. And so I've read those scriptures recently and I can't for the life of me defend those verses and passages. Um, I say to myself, The religious precepts, the religious laws, the religious commandments, the religious statutes, the religious... I said religious commandments, I did. The religious religious regulations, the religious codes, and the religious mandates are not what I... are, are not what I live my life by because it's basically putting um, barcades to love. And what that means is, is that with religion, there is no such thing as being able to be comfortable with people that are unlike yourself, but they are your equal. That's what I mean to say there are barricades to love and religion. And I'll give you another meaning so you can really understand it fully. If you're around someone that comes from a different culture than you. You may have come from a conservative theology culture and you're around somebody that is from a humanist culture. It's going to be hard for you to love that person because all you think about is hellfire when you talk to that person. You'll try your best not to really talk to that person for very long. If you had to, you will. But if you didn't, you wouldn't. And that is a travesty to me. Um, Now, I think about the words Savior and Original Sin... And I never understood 
those terms because why is our lack of flawlessness the only reason why a Jesus would commune with us? To me, that's conditional love. That's not unconditional love because regardless of how we behave, shouldn't Jesus want to do life together with us? So if we... So if the Bible says we were not born original sin, then Jesus would not have done life together with us at all. Which I find problematic because... I don't depend on your conduct for me to want to assist you in the most effective ways that I that I should. That's contradicting the concept of unconditional love. That's contradicting the concept of purposeful acts of kindness. in terms of those concepts being attributed to what they call the divine. So, what if savior wasn't the right word? What if the right word is, like I've been saying, preservation? I want to nourish your inner beauty. I want to help nourish your inner beauty. And as for original sin, what if those are the wrong words to use? What if we don't know why good and evil happens? We don't know why mistakes happen. We don't know why we get it right sometimes. And I came to that conclusion because how does Satan, who's supposed to be the architect of pure evil, be able to present itself in what what is called heaven, which is supposed to be pure good, pure good in the biblical sense means flawlessness so Satan is disrupting eternal church services in paradise according to biblical theology so even in heaven you can't worship in peace you can't praise in peace you can't glorify in peace that makes no sense Um, and getting back to you know, even interesting even more. Are sex offenders born to sex offend? Are violent offenders born to violently offend? Are murderous offenders born to to kill? Original sin does not explain what it means when it says that. Um, and then I came to the conclusion 
on the savior complex thing. Why would you have your creation endangered in the first place? It should not have taken that long to rescue them. That's lateness. I say I'm saving you by not saving myself. That makes no sense. It didn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have taken between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament to go, okay, I'm going to have hundreds of years pass by. Now I'm going to go ahead and save you. Doing the right thing should never take that long. It should not even take in two weeks. By the week being over, the saving should have already happened. And those concepts make people seem like that Jesus is Superman. I don't think so. I don't think that's the point of the story. The point of the story is, is not to follow after somebody. The point of the story is to abide by the wisdom that's already recorded within you. That's what real following means. I, I, I consent, I enthusiastically consent to clarity. I enthusiastically consent to discernment. I do what it tells me to do because it's already inside of me. That's what real following means. It it shouldn't have anything to do with I'm blaming you as my creation for assassinating me, making myself my own creation, making myself you. I think I don't think the Bible writers did an excellent job of wording correctly the intent of the story. I think that it has been miswritten and misread and misinterpreted and it has been misexplained and it has been like I said misworded because people cannot help that they're not perfect. We Yes, we should all live a life of well-self-control, well-self-discipline, absolutely. But to blame human beings for imperfections that we didn't ask for, that's not right. And plus, how does a pure evil being get kicked out of heaven that's supposed to be pure, good, flawless? So where did Satan's sin come from? How he, he how he couldn't have got it by himself. So is God the sinful one? Where did the other angels' sins come from? You know, the one third of angels and Satan. Where did their sins come from? How how does sin originate in heaven? That makes no sense to me. So. I'm at the point where I just say to myself, (sighs) 
I don't want to believe. I want to know. In terms of. Like the Bible talks about. Angels, archangels, demons, archdemons. I want to know. I don't want to believe. And. Science and scholarship. Has not presented any way of knowing them via evidence from itself, you know. These afterlife places, heaven and hell and purgatory, I want to know these places. I don't want to believe in these places. But scientific scholarship Scientific evidence and scholarship evidence does not present those places as being real. Because science and scholarship have not verified that they are real. Um, I just want to know. I want to know because if I know then the evidence can defend itself. I don't have to defend it. I don't want to defend faith because why should you have to protect what's already supposed to be overwhelmingly true? You know? And I'm at the point where I'm just like, if there is a Christ figure because just speaking hypothetically if there is a deity there are spiritual beings there are miracles life after death they're not what they're said to be in the Bible it would have to be all in the name of human rights and animal rights because I just can't imagine angels and archangels having a problem with human rights and animal rights but according to the Bible they do they don't even mention those concepts they're supposed to be angels angelic messengers from God and they don't even talk about it which is weird Um, plus I don't want faith I want truth I don't want hope I want knowledge I don't want trust I want facts I'm at that point because when you have proof then I don't have to keep wondering or pondering about it. It's set in stone and I can move forward with my life. So I figured that I tend to
be a pragmatist. I, I value the practical approaches of problems and affairs. Um, I would say I'm into logic, science, evolution, um, history, geography, mathematics, inventions. And I just figured that um, I, if I could interpret Jesus, I don't think he's anything like he said in the Bible. Let's say Jesus was real, hypothetically. Jesus is not a religious savior to me. Jesus would be so into human rights and animal rights that he would be a wholeness instructor. I think wholeness instructor, it teaches people to do what therapists tell their clients to do. A therapist will gently guide you with your help to the positive inner voice that you need to listen to and comply with. A therapist wouldn't say, hey, do what I do, say what I say. No, a therapist would say, I want you to do what you do in terms of what's right for you. I need you to do what you need to do, what's right for you. Notice a therapist doesn't say, I have all the answers. A therapist will say, no, all the answers are inside of you to all the questions that you're asking. Often the answer is you. A therapist would say that. So the definition of Jesus following them, like it, it's out of pocket with how a therapist would tell their client. A therapist would say, what do you think? Instead of, okay, here are my thoughts. And if you don't, uh, if you don't uh, consume my thoughts, then I will banish you to everlasting agony. A therapist wouldn't do that. A therapist would say, a therapist will listen to you and seek your input on how is what you're saying making you feel right now? How is what you're doing making you feel right now? Right? It's about therapy teaches you to gently guide yourself. The therapist is helpful in, in, in assisting and facilitating that. It Therapy teaches you to be your own therapist. So I can't imagine Jesus discarding that just because it's the first century. And when I look at how in regards to hell, like I talked about, I want to clarify what I mean. Because in the Bible... It's easy to hate billions of people temporally and eternally 
simply because they're good people who do not live by biblical orthodoxy. Simply because they do not live by theological conservatism. Simply because they do not live by traditional religion or traditional Christianity. Simply because they do not live by conservative Christianity. But these are all good people. And what I learned from that is that um, religious etymology doesn't work for me. Religious denotations doesn't work for me. Religious connotations don't work for me. Religious meanings don't work for me. The religious version of the dictionary, the encyclopedia, the source don't work for me at all. So, I also want to say that there hasn't been a proper explanation to what makes angels angels? What makes devils devils? What makes heaven heaven? What makes hell hell? What makes purgatory purgatory? It's like they introduce concepts that they have failed to fully explain. The origins. Where can I find these things in science? Where can I find these things academic scholarship? Where can I find these things in mathematics? Where can I find these things in history? Where can I find these things in geography? It's like, give me the full story. Don't just give me concepts. Give me the full report on these concepts so I can be aware instead of playing the telephone type of guessing game. And um, it's rough for me because I'm dealing with my child self right now. And as you already know, my child self clings on to every word of the Bible in terms of what it says. So this is very hard to do. And then the definition of sin is problematic. It's because I have seen pure evil organized crime. Most people are not what I saw. I wouldn't call most people sinners because they are not so wicked that they would criminalize children by doing criminal activity associated with kids. So, most people, I don't think sinner applies to them. If you want to say that about Hitler, I won't try to stop you. But, I just don't think that the sinner label should be applied to most of the 8 billion people in the world who don't have an organized crime spirit in them like Hitler did. And 
Where did Hitler get his pure evil from? That's not that no Bible writer has fully explained that. And why make people sinners? I don't fully understand that point. I feel like the Bible does not even condemn organized crime. For example, the Bible does not condemn drug dealing or drug trafficking. The Bible does not condemn contract killing. Um, The Bible does not condemn slavery and antiquity. But the Bible does not condemn making people war captives. The Bible does not condemn making people fugitive slaves. The Bible does not condemn making people into blood slavery. The Bible does not even condemn debt slavery. The Bible does not condemn sexual and conjugal slavery. The Bible does not condemn slave trades. The Bible does not condemn permanent enslavement. The Bible does not condemn injury and compensation related to slavery. The Bible does not condemn the the working conditions of slavery. Um, The Bible does not advocate for the abolition of slavery. And the Bible does not advocate for no slavery to ever happen. I don't even see the word manumission in the Ten Commandments. The fact that it's so e- it was so easy to create a slave Bible from the Bible makes me think, wow, the, the, the original Bible was the original slave Bible after all. And then, like... My child self is feeling right now, but this is what my child self is telling my adult self, but you know, God is all I know and embrace. Jesus is all I know and embrace. The Holy Spirit is all I know and embrace. The Bible is all I know and, and embrace. And I will never condemn my child self for feeling those feelings. My child self will always have those feelings. And at the same time, my adult self is more of, but those verses I just read to you in the beginning are clearly errors and contradictions of the Bible. My child self 
clings on to biblical narrative, biblical fallibility, um, for dear life, for the obvious reasons, while my adult self is more of, but if you're not, if you can't condemn, or should I say refuse to condemn out of moral cowardice, basic human indecency, then biblical infallibility is untrue, and biblical inerrancy is untrue. Um, you know, I just feel like I wish there were human rights miracles in the Bible. I wish there were human rights life after death in the Bible. I wish there were uh, human rights transcendental entities in the Bible. I wish there were uh, where there was at least one human rights deity and at least one human rights Christ figure in the Bible. Um, and I, I, I wish that there were human rights otherworldly in the Bible. Um, and I take it a step further. I wish there were animal rights deity in the Bible, animal rights Christ figure in the Bible, animal rights miracles in the Bible, animal rights life after death in the Bible, animal rights transcendental entities in the Bible. That makes more sense. If you're going to go the supernatural route, at least say human rights and animal rights are at the centrality of the supernaturality, all of the supernatural is in the Bible. But because they didn't do that, that's why I'm a religious skeptic. And I'm just growing and learning that the fact that it's easy to have defenders of slavery when it comes to the Bible's message on slavery. I'm thinking to myself, there, there is no way that any supernatural agency had anything to do with that. Um, and this is tough for me. This is a really rough subject. It's not easy to come to these conclusions, but um, I value the epistemological viewpoint, which holds that belief should not be formed on the basis of conservative theology's authority, conservative theology's traditions, conservative theology's revelations, and conservative theology's dogmas. And I think, and I know that belief should instead be reached by the message such as logic, reason, empirical observation. And as a free thinker, I'm a person who forms my own ideas and opinions rather than accepting those of other people, especially in religious teaching. Um, I consider free thought to be a natural freedom from all negative and elusive and delusionary thoughts acquired from society. My cognitive application of free thought is known as my free thinking, and as a practitioner of free thought, I'm known as a free thinker. And I, my free thought is strongly tied with rejection of traditional belief systems, conservative religious belief systems, and conservative social belief systems. Um, 
Knowledge should be grounded in facts, scientific inquiry, and logic. That's what I think that that's how I hold knowledge. Um, my free thinking is my free exercise of reason in matters of religious belief, unrestrained by deference to authority, deduction, the principles of a free thinker. Um, at the same time, um, I have struggled with religious beliefs because my adult self and my child self struggle with the subject of religion. My child self is an is a extraordinarily devout Christian and my adult self is a doubter of a faith. Um, so religion is not an easy subject for me because my, my child me is a kingdom disciple while the adult me is unchurch, non-church, and de-church, while my child, me, is more of hope, trust, and in, in God, and um, in terms of piety and saintliness, while my adult me is more of make it make gorgeous sense. And so far, religion has not been able to do that for me. That's how adult me feels. My adult self is secular. My child self is religious. So I, I say that often so people can understand that religion has been one of my struggles in life. It has, it's bumpier than any bumpy road has ever existed. Um, I embrace the rainbow of unorthodoxy, religious dissent, skepticism, unconventional thinking, and my free thought as thinking, which is for me independent of conservative revelation, conservative tradition, conservative established beliefs, and conservative authority. Um, I consider um, traditional religion to be harmful to billions of people in the world that are not of Christianity. Therefore, traditional religion is untrue to me. Orthodoxy is not a guarantee of truth for me. Conservative faith invalidates billions of good people who aren't Christians, so conservative faith is, is, is just invalid to me because of that. And as a free thinker, 
I don't demand conformity of conservatism or uniformity of conservatism to a Bible creator Messiah. And I don't demand cult following to a Bible creator Messiah. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind sufficient evidence to support the existence of supernatural phenomena. Um, at the same time, science and scholarship has not given overwhelming evidence for it, so that's concerning and troubling for me. Uh, this, this is really hard, man, because I, I no longer feel like I'm at a tug at war with my kids' self. Um, I'll end with this, um, I, I know when it comes to my sexual past, I no longer have sex to put a bandage on the cancer of my former loneliness and my former insecurities. When it comes to my past sex life, I no longer have sex to emotionally cut in the name of re- reaffirming a self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm not worth a real relationship. So those issues don't ruin my life anymore. I no longer have sex to carry out an experiment to see if I'm so good that I can hook the other people into wanting more, whether that's more sex, relationship, whatever the case it may be. I no longer have sex to seek validation, attention, love, and approval. I no longer have sex to fill a void because I don't know how to be alone. I'm no longer desperate for true love, but I am not always in a limerent state. I no longer have sex to crave intimacy, but feel like I don't have the social skills nor confidence for anything more than physical intimacy. I no longer have sex in terms of feeling like an addict. I no longer feel like I have a full-blown addiction. I now know that, I now and forever know that I feel that I am loved and priceless. Back then I felt so worthless and unloved. Back then I did feel like I was addicted to feeling wanted special love for that day, that night, those days and those nights. Um, I no longer have sex for for any of the for any traumatic reasons. Um and that's good for me to 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 talk about. Um Okay. When it comes to sex, now and forevermore, I'm not making myself feel better in the moment at the expense of the other people's hearts and emotional well beings. 
Now and forevermore, I have sex as a way of doing it to add to an already great life of mine and, and great life experiences of mine. Now and forevermore, my sex life is not literally making my life, making my confidence, making my self-esteem and um, and making the experiences. Now and forevermore, my sex life is in beautiful alignment with my own compassionate morals, compassionate values, and compassionate beliefs. When it comes to my sex life, I have sensible expectations. Therefore, there's no wounding of myself and others because of it. Now when it comes to my sex life, we have common denominators on the major things because we have the same intentions in terms of needs and desires. Our, when it, now when it comes, and now forevermore it comes to sex, my effective communication is smoothly clear and soothingly clear. Um, now when it comes to my sex life, everyone's triggers, sensitivities, and honors are of the experience of reverence more than just respect. Um, in my sex life, there is no laws being broken, no homes being wrecked either. Um, in my sex life, no one is being emotionally tortured nor physically tortured. Um, and in my sex life, we are all of high emotional maturity and we are well, way above the age of 18. And, and in my sex life, we do what is right for us and everything is 100% to our exciting liking and we protect each other we respect each other we protect ourselves and we respect ourselves we are safe with ourselves we're safe with each other and that is why my sex life now forevermore is free from shame guilt and judgment so That is what, those are the other reasons for my solo, those are all the other reasons for my solo polyamory, also known as my ethical promiscuity. <laughs> and And one last thing on my sex life, and I'll finish with organized crime, is that for me, I want to say and need to say that most of my time will be spent 
engaging in intentional benevolence with others and very little of my time will be spent conducting sexual intercourse. Most of the people I meet, there's not going to be any sex happening. There's not going to be any sex having. So that means that there'll be sprinkles of people that I get to be sexual with. Because I don't gain the whole sexual universe and lose my sexual soul. I don't lose my sexual mind and I don't lose my sexual heart. That's why I don't lose my sexual body. Now, in regards to organized crime part of my life, the last thing I'll say about it is um, I was able to convince some guys not to always kill, beat, and rob when it comes to disrespect of women. Um, Because there were women that were starting to get uncomfortable by those things. So I said, well, just call the police. Some of these people were, were criminals that I'm telling you about. In particular, these guys were criminals, the ones that I was telling, hey, every time one is disrespected, you ain't got to always beat, rob, and kill. Just call the police. That way, the legal system raises hell on them, and you don't have any jail to report to. And they were able to listen. I think it was because of one of the reasons was the vanity of, well, I want to still commit crimes. Um, But I think the biggest reason was they developed a rapport with me where they understood you can respect women without endangering yourself. Um, And towards the end of my time organized crime, I I would just call the police. The only time I, I never called the police when it came to what was done to me. But as a gentleman, I knew that women were usually the people that would call the police. So when I would see women disrespected, I would disguise my voice because I could voice. I, would, I was able to voice act well. I would disguise my voice and call the police. And um, they would all go to jail. They never knew it was me because other women would say, yeah, I was the one that called the police, but it was actually me calling the police. So I was practicing when I was preaching and the women were thankful that, yes, I'm glad you could protect us without us being hurt by the beating around and killing all the time. So that's what happened. And um, some of the guys who did do the beating, robbing, and killings did go to jail. The rest were killed themselves. Um, but the women, criminals, women, civilians, they got along well. 
um, because of me, because I, I protected both. So there are some women criminals who left the world of crime because I was nice to them. They're like, man, I don't want to do this no more. I actually feel like somebody believes in me. Um, then there are women criminals who wouldn't even dare do their dirt around me because they're like, but I love him so much. I don't want to hurt him by what I'm doing. Of course, any therapist would not see these things as sincere. And I would not argue with the therapist about that. But um, the men criminals and, you know, some men criminals left because of, you know, man, this dude is showing me how to be a man, how to treat women. I ain't doing dirt no more. I'm not doing crime again. Then there were men criminals who wouldn't do their dirt around me. So eventually those same people that left the world of organized crime, they also helped me to leave organized crime because they were some of the people who would um, report me to law enforcement without using my name. Um, They would just say, so many kids are in organized crime. Yeah, this kid in particular, they would, they would, they described how I look. They just never said my name. Um. So also, um, once I found out I was being reported by them, and then there were criminals who wouldn't do the dirt around me. They worked together with the criminals who left to get me out of organized crime because they would assist in reporting me without using my name. So because they were um, doing that, that was another reason why I had to leave organized crime, or should I say forced out organized crime. So many people were reporting me. They just didn't feel comfortable using my name because I wasn't known for being tough just to be tough. I wasn't a jerk just to be a jerk. Um, so they were like, well, this is our way of saying, of getting him out. We just didn't, they didn't feel comfortable putting my name because it was like, well, we don't, we don't make it want to seem like he's a bad person. Because Tony's not a bad person, he just had to act tough because folks are making him act tough, you know, these organized crime folks. So that's how I got out. That's the full story of how I got out of organized crime. Because also that world towards the end, too many people, not too many people, because there's nothing wrong with bad people getting caught and being legally sentenced for it. But, you know, I was in that world um, constantly just in a world where 
people were, so many people were getting caught, getting busted, and so many crime bosses, so many drug lords, so many big time human traffickers and big time sex traffickers, and so many mafia leaders were just getting rounded up, and so many people in all the organized crime syndicates I'm supposed to be a part of were just constantly being ravished by murder, um, by jail, and by the law catching up to them, and then never leaving jail. Um, warrants for their arrests, in and out of jail, and eventually never getting out of jail. Being found dead somewhere. That's how I got out, and that's the full story. So I can honestly say, I officially have told every experience of, my, of the organized crime world that I can share. Um, nothing more for me to share on it because it's all been shared. Not one memory was left unstated. And oh, I'll share this though. Let's briefly talk about sex a little bit more. So you're probably wondering, would you go to LGBTQI plus friendly continents? Yes, so I can have LGBTQI plus dating, LGBTQI plus romance, LGBTQI plus sex in those countries and continents too. Um, now, in countries where incarceration and execution happens for being LGBTQI plus, I will convince all my lovers to move to America where I am. Because we're not going to get jailed or killed because our biology complements each other. I'm like, look, when this trip is over with, you're coming with me. And once we land in American soil... We can be as freaky and kinky as we damn well please. And that's what the fuck we're going to fucking do. That is our goddamn shit. We're going to be a bunch of horny asses. Damn it. That way we won't piss off our biologies. (laughs) And, uh, lastly on the sex thing, I'm so glad that I am a sexual free thinker. Thanks to my unconventional sexual wisdom. And there's no sexual cognitive bias within me. And I live a life of tantric sex. Because it's basically... Meditative sex
without Cult of Personality